Tom, hello. Adam, Adam, hello, hello, Adam. Hello, you're you're a skateboarder. That's a, a striking claim you're making. <laughs> you use a skateboard or several skateboards. I've got a bit of a fetish for skateboards. I like the dicks. You like the wood? I like the dicks. <laughs> hey, get off my dick! <laughs> are you are you riding my dick again? <laughs> hey, get off my dick! You're not allowed on my dick. Uh, All the kids yeah. like to play on my dick when I'm at the skate park. <laughs> <laughs> to clarify, Tom is saying deck. Uh, In a New Zealand style. Buddy will correct me probably, but Adam, I'm just opening a beer. Hold on. The crack never gets old. <laughs> what have you got? Oh, God. <laughs> so, so what happened? My mate, Polsky Sklep, was here. And he brings... Name? <laughs> no, it's like, why don't I always fucking name some Polish name? And he brings beers all the time and leaves loads of beers in my fridge, but none of them are under like 7%. <laughs> okay, so you've gone instead with possibly one of the worst beers that's ever been created. Yes, but I figure that this is the kind of beer you would drink at a skate park. Okay, yeah, it probably is, yeah. You've gone for a Carlin, and I have less respect for you now than I did five minutes ago. But that doesn't say much. Um, so, yeah, this this week, Tom, I, I'm fucking stoked to talk about this game, um, particularly with the fact that we've very recently been playing it uh, in a remastered version. Uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, man. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, one of the greats. I mean, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 was my jam, but that's, this is where it started. Yeah, this, this is where... I mean, I definitely had this game... First, I'm pretty sure I had this then Tony Hawk's too. I don't I'm, I think that's the I way I got it. I think I lost my Tony Hawk virginity to the second entry. Did you? Okay. Well, as you say, this is where it all started, and this is where one of the if not the no, let's go with it, the best extreme sports games ever made. Uh all hey, for real, for real. Like I mean these defined my growing up. This like so being a skater, playing Tony Hawk. And holding on to music that was important to me and like the clothes style, which was all wrapped up into Tony Hawk, which we'll talk about, defined who I was when I was like 15. Well, that's how I, you know, lived life. Yeah. <laughs> it was just... yeah, it was the skater culture. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you had all the bag, baggy jeans and all that sort of stuff that, as you say, we'll, we'll get on to. Um, I want to direct people add very quickly to a special After Hours episode we did recently. Yeah, man. Um, regarding the cultural impact of the Tony Hawk's pro skater series now that podcast was a very serious podcast with the author of skateboarding and the city and the vice dean of the bartlett school of architecture who talks about he he wrote a book an incredible incredible book um about skateboarding and architecture and a, a history of skateboarding all wrapped up into that and he came on to talk to us about how the video game impacted skate culture and like mainstream awareness of skating the lives of the people involved and the awareness of the sport all that kind of stuff so for the whole history of skating go and listen to that as well as a supplement to this and it doesn't have any naughty words in it or anything so it'd be quite a contrast to this episode I imagine. <laughs> naughty words fuck it <laughs> fuck off don't know why i went irish sorry ken uh so, Ken, if you are listening to this first time, if we mention Ken, he is our very straight-laced uh, Irish colleague uh, who hosts our After Hours show and uh, also co-hosts the Happy Hour Gaming podcast. So He does drop an F-bomb occasionally. He's like, Jesus Christ, fucking hell, man. Yeah, so Lord of feckin' bollocks. So, you know, <laughs> he is our Irish uh, companion. And, uh, yeah, shout-out to Ken. He's a top, top guy. Um, th- Tom... In our youth, we did a fair bit of skateboarding. We, you know... I'm, I'm, so let's talk about this. We're rekindling our youthful skateboarding this at the minute. You, well, we're, to, well, you've been once, but... I've been once because of lockdown, which is, you know, killing me. Because you you've, you actually came and, and uh, did a session at my... Well, yeah, I'd say my local skate park, the best one near me. Uh, and I couldn't join you because it was outside of my county. 
I was fucking yeah, I was, gutted. I was on a little a little day trip with work, and I stopped in for a lunch break shred outside the school at Aberdare. <laughs> Which is not something you want to go, you know, day to day. But uh, apparently the skate park's very good, and I've never been there. So uh, I was gutted. But yeah, we've, we've rekindled it. And I was, I was surprisingly... I, I felt okay at it uh, after 15, 20 years. So, yeah, it's, it's just like riding a bike, man. It is. It is. It's good fun. Um, and I'm expecting to obtain some serious injuries in the near future. So this go. game, Ab, yeah. released in 1999, developed by Neversoft, mm. published by Activision on the PlayStation N64, Game Boy Color, Dreamcast, and the Nokia N-Gage. I didn't is know. there something more 90s than the Nokia N-Gage? <laughs> yeah. A phone that's also a games con- uh, handheld games console. Man. It it was shit. It was shit, wasn't it? I mean, oh yeah. <laughs> I didn't know Tony Hawk came out on there, but yeah, okay. yeah, they were very different versions. Like the real version is the PlayStation version. Fucking right. Well, that's where I played and it. Pop, and... You can consider the N sixty four and Dreamcast versions to be I mean, the Game Boy Color version is pal- palatable to a degree. Okay, but I, I think that skating for me was before this came out was like the misfits kind of thing. And this made it, this game made it fucking cool. Yeah. Whereas it wasn't cool before this game, really, to anyone who wasn't already a skater. Well, exactly. I think it wasn't, certainly wasn't much of a scene, you know, for us in the UK uh, at the time. There wasn't any sort of scene where but we it, were from. It, it absolutely exploded. And a third of the kids in our sixth form were skaters. Yeah. On the or, back of this game coming out. <laughs> or, or, or at least, or at least kind of had some essence of that skate culture, that, you know, anti-society kind of thing. It was so wrapped up in all of that. Well, It, it, it was just part of it. Yeah, it embodied where we were as, as teens, Tom, where we were this... We weren't generally part of, the, you know, the, the crowd that would be, you know, considered the cool kids. Um, Not like today. Well, no, quite. If you're a skater kid today, you probably are one of the cool kids. I don't know. No, I mean, like us today being the cool kids. Oh, yeah. Well, fucking right we are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah too right. Uh, look at us now <laughs> doing a retro gaming podcast, <laughs> drinking <Exactly>. curling. <laughs> For some context, Ad, let's just talk about this, right? We always talk about the video games that came out in the same era, just to set the scene. So this came out in the same year, Soul Calibur, mm. Resident Evil 3, Silent Hill, Crash Team Racing, Grand Theft Auto 2, Medal of Honor, Gran Turismo 2, Super Smash Brothers, and Alien vs. Predator. Jesus Christ. That's some list. Man. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a season of the 8-Bit Shit Show in itself. Yeah, yeah too right. Like, every Ooh. single game on that list deserves the accolades that it got. Yeah, damn right. It's it's, it's in amongst some... Uh, well, it's like, a, you know, where you have those years where great films come out all in a row and it's like, fuck. <laughs> it's just been, you know, an absolutely stellar year. This this was one of those years. Um, so, but, but on the periphery of that, what I want to talk about is we always put this cultural context of what games came out. But because this was so wrapped up in culture surrounding us music movies coming of age yep for us and i think this is one of one of those things that we have that unique experience other people of our age will have yeah yeah and hopefully people today have the games and the media and the things that they like that they identify with that age hopefully it's not just fucking funko pops i think it's harder these days but we'll you know we won't go into that because um... yeah because there's the the um, you have to you have to invest in a culture then because you didn't have the accessibility of identifying with a culture. Say you are really into anime or you want to be some like you identify with Japanese culture now. You can access that online. Exactly. Whereas then you had to have your core group mm-hmm. of people that were into the same shit and you shared magazines and stuff like that. But I want to talk about the music and movies that came out in the same year. And I want you to give me some some reactions to some of these. Nice. The importance of you. This episode probably goes on a bit long because... There's so much to say around this. Yeah, but this is an important game in our, you know, in our lives as well. So it's kind of like quite a bit of a nostalgia trip for us. So, you know, I've got a very very long list here and I'm only going to read some of them. Okay. Okay. The the Slim Shady LP. Oh, God. Do you know my memories of that, Tom? You introduced me to Eminem. Um, And I remember we... And you know who introduced me? Rodri Evans. Fucking hell. What? (laughs) Did he? Yeah, you wouldn't believe that, would you? No. Man, that's Roger a name. Lloyd Evans. Wow. A name I haven't heard for probably 25 years. I did it on a school trip to Shrewsbury, and the same day we were there, I went into Virgin Megastore and bought it. 
Holy shit. Well, I remember distinctly you playing this to me in your, your house in Hans and Fried. Uh, that's the one and i was instantly hooked to it because it had naughty words in it and it was rapping about stuff that i shouldn't have been listening to and i found it ultimately cool and that's one of the steve berman skits say on that thing is everyone else is rapping about big screen tvs blunts 40s and bitches and he's rapping about homosexuals and vicodin <laughs> exactly it's like this like, isn't gonna sell well it, he was wrong yeah and it did and that was like disenfranchised youth all over the place. The other thing that came out was CKY's Volume One. Again, huge. CKY, the precur- it's like they rise of Bamajira, the precursor to Jackass. Yeah, man, absolutely. CKY was. We were very at that time. We were making a because of CKY um, and, and Jackass to some extent as well. We were making our own like stupid videos, jumping in bushes and all sorts of shit like that. So. But they were mixing skating up with music videos. CKY3 famously had the hymn video for Right Here in My Arms. Um, all of that kind of stuff was just all wrapped up. So it just shows how the skate culture linked so intrinsically to other elements. It wasn't just like, this is skateboarding. This is a video game. This is a movie. Mm. This is what, when we get on to why this is all important now, but Dysfunction by Stained. Yeah, man. Again, angsty. So angsty, that album. And that really was like, again, like I'd listen to that when I felt like shit because it embodied my mood at that time. And like, you know, it, it's synonymous with that period of my life. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Check this hybrid theory. Oh God. That was the same year. Fuck. Okay. One of my top albums of all time. Hybrid theory. Again, it reminds me of me and you hanging out in the penthouse, which was the room above my mum's garage. Uh, Drinking Red Square and Smirnoff Ice. <laughs> yeah, and like um, smoking like fags with like one strain of back in because that's all we have. <laughs> and smoking just... weed off a pin. Exactly. <laughs> and just shit like that. And like just, yeah, just being Larry and kids and doing what kids are supposed to do. Yeah, exactly. And um, POD came out. AFI, Black Sails in the Sunset. Enema of the State. Holy shit, that was that year. Fuck. Like, seminal how was that album to you oh huge that's probably what really one of the albums that got me into that type of music into that alternative scene because as you say the whole scene is is wrapped up in its musical um you know the musical culture that that goes with it so like without that music i wouldn't have probably got into that okay um, check these californication same year <sighs> shit man Significant Other by Limp Biscuit. Oh, Biscuit! No way! <laughs> oh, yeah. Slipknot's self-titled album that oh, year. Fuck. Yeah. Again, another <laughs> band you got me into. Yeah, my favorite band of all time. Um, unfortunately, the new Corey Taylor album is lacking. Mm. Uh, the Burning Red by Machine Head. Okay, not really. You're, off the, you're off the skater path a little bit now, but then you got fragile, the Fragile by Nine Inch Nails, Antipop oh. by Primus, The Battle of Los Angeles by Rage Against the Machine was that year. <laughs> Holy shit. There's Nothing Left to Lose by The Foo Fighters. Oh, it's just insane. The Decline by No FX. The Gift of the Game by Crazy Town. 2001 by Dr. Dre. Issues by Korn. Man, all of that is stuff that I still listen to today. And... It Just Gets Worse by Anal Cunt. Oh, of course, <laughs> Anal Cunt. How could I forget them? Oh, God. Uh, that flows on nicely from our Sonic episode, which you should listen to the end of. <laughs> um, do you want to hear some Anal Cunt? Uh, I know of them. I don't think I've listened to them. I'm going to load you some up. But, man, those are my... And also that blend of hip-hop crossing over into rock culture. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the fact I was listening to Dr. Dre as much as I was listening to Korn, and Eminem helped so much with that, and obviously Linkin Park. But Yeah, that was a real crossover, wasn't it, Linkin Park? Um, but yeah. Here's some, let me find some anal cunt. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's, that's exactly how I expected anal cunt to sound, <laughs> if I'm honest. It does sound like... Something that's coming out of your ass. Uh, but I mean, if, if you just pick the big bangers that Eminem, Linkin Park, Chili Peppers, Limp Biscuits, Slipknot, Nine Inch Nails, No Effects, Foo Fighters, Rage Against the Machine, Corn, Dr. Dre. Yeah. Like, what a year. Then let's talk about movies. American Pie came out oh, that year. Man, 
again, I, I never tire of that film because it just reminds me of that era where everything was amazing. Fight Club came out. Holy the shit. Matri- the Matrix, The Sixth Sense, South Park, and Episode One, The Phantom Menace. God, how many times did we see it? was 1999, watch? possibly the best year in history. I think now you've given me this list, it I, undoubtedly was. But like, I can't imagine there would be, like, a year. Like, 2001 was a banger, because you had things like Iowa by Slipknot and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But if you add all of them, the components of that together, plus the games, plus the fact that Tony Hawk came out, Grand Turismo 2, man, look at that. Fucking Silent Hill. Like, so I was like 14 at this time, and this is mm. like a wet dream, you know? All of this stuff out in the same year. Like, I, I can't think of a recent year where there's been anything anywhere near this. Like, games-wise, I've had... We've seen years with great games that have come out month by month, but that whole entwined culture of gaming, music, movies, that lifestyle, just it, it doesn't exist anymore like it used to. And maybe it does for some people. Maybe it's because we were 14, 15. Maybe, maybe. I just think because it's a the, lot... the, these things just a hundred percent. I can watch any one of their movies now and just love it. Yeah, quite. I yep. can listen to all that. I still listen to all of them, except maybe Anal Cunt. But I still <laughs> listen to all of them albums. Other albums we didn't mention, like Nas and Astradamus and, you know, Mind the Self Indulgence. Do you remember them? Oh, of course I do. What the world's well, blaster? Yeah. <laughs> I never catch Wisconsin, on. <laughs> Wisconsin Death Trip by Static X. Yeah. Exactly. No, I never wanted to dance with my body. <laughs> Jimmy Eat World came out. Clarity. Like, shit. Like, it's fucking wild. It's fucking wild. What What a year. What a year. Um, the hype is palpable for 99. I think and, possibly the best year ever. And I think that is important in talking about Tony Hawk. And remember also, we were shitting ourselves about the Millennium Bug. <laughs> yeah, it's all going to end. Like, our computers can't handle going to zero, zero again, and the world's <laughs> going to shut down. Nah. Like, so much shit in that year was, like, so real as well. Yeah, yeah. Everyone was proper fearing it as well, but, like, we were 14, so we didn't really give a fuck. I was um, hoping the world was going to come down, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was ready for that shit. Anarchistic teenager. Um, but, yeah, as I said, this is this is so important uh, to talk about in the context of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Um, I hope that some people our age are listening to it, and at least with some of that stuff we've mentioned going, fuck, oh my god, yes. Well, I hope people even that didn't have that buzz are thinking, fuck, I wish I was around in that year, because, you know, what a year to be alive. Some of this is like, it's sucky music and sucky movies, but they're just so important. Yeah, that's like Crazy Town. I know, I know you're jaded because you've met the dude from Crazy Town. Shifty Shell Shock. I went to see him last year. Is he cool? Yeah. Is that his name? Shifty Shell Shock. Well, that's his stage name. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think he yeah, was that, that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I called I'm, him like, Shifty. <laughs> there's nothing more nineties than being called Shifty Shell Shock. No, exactly. And he he still looks and dresses the same way as he did in you know 1999, which is great. Yeah, but mad respect. And then what is important is this music actually wasn't really the music in the game. The music in the game was a lot more ska punk, Californian ska punk, kind of stuff like that. It was, yeah. It it did tie in with the Blink-182s and pop punk kind of things like that. But it didn't fucking matter because the attitude was the same. Well, there was still a bit of that hip-hop culture in there as well. Because that was Yeah, big. there was. And hip-hop was really new to me at that time because, I mean... When I say before then, I've been exclusively into rock. Only a couple of years before then, because three or four years before then, I was like 11 or something. I was just starting to discover music and mm. discover my... Before that, I just listened to Queen and Meatloaf for my dad. Holy <laughs> shit. Well, like, you, what you do, don't you? You, just listen, you? you pick your parents' tapes that you like the most. And for me, yeah. it, was, it was Queen, it was Meatloaf. There was a bit of Motorhead, so I guess I was onto that trajectory already. To be fair, I laugh, but that's actually pretty good. you know. Yeah, whereas... Then I like this was like right now I'm gonna get my own identity in music so I just bought what was popular so I think one of the first albums I got was Jamiroquai Traveling Without Moving, mm. um, not because I was like particularly into it I was just like oh the radio is telling me to like this and then very quickly start to discover yourself around the age of thirteen fourteen yeah yeah definitely and, and really kind of I've been fortunate enough that the the shit that I chose then is still what I love today. Well, I was very much like, I, the first album I bought was Oasis, um, What's the Story, Morning Glory, alongside Michael Jackson's history. And uh, then I met you, and you played me things like Slipknot, you played me Blink, Eminem, and I was like, shit, I've been listening to, you know, the wrong stuff, because this is what really connects with me. So, like, so, uh, Colin Hancock introduced me to Slipknot. I remember vividly him wearing a Slipknot hoodie at work, and me just being, like, 
mesmerized by the look of this band. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, there's this, nothing I, else like it. This do not give... Like, it's just designed to upset parents. <laughs> yeah. Like it was back in 99, that photo that they all took in the red jumpsuits in actually one of the guys' garages. Yeah, to make it <laughs> on look the as, album cover. as intimidating and anti-establishment you know, as possible. <laughs> it's like, yeah, parental advisory explicit content on every CD I ever bought. <laughs> Man, that was like a new thing as well, wasn't it then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I remember you used to be able to buy decks with that written on the bottom. And skateboarding is not a crime. Remember that phrase? I do. Yeah, yeah. Again, very much uh, as a as a result of of what Tony Hawk's brought to the the uh, the mainstream. Um, let's talk about skateboarding um, that happened. So I want to go back a little bit and talk about skateboarding that happened before Tony Hawk's Pro Skater came to fruition. Like. Let's talk about the history a little bit. Now, you've, you've touched on this in the recent episode that you've done um, for After Hours. Well, but... we've more than touched on it. We went balls deep, I would say. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, touched on it's the wrong term. But uh, let, let's, let's we were, just we weren't, we weren't eating around the tush. <laughs> you were going straight in, face yeah. first. But as uh, there something like the skateboarding started 50s, but late 70s skate was very, very popular in California. Come early 80s, lost all this commercial support. Skate parks were all demolished. Um, that generated the advent of the backyard pool riding and um, gave skateboarding its kind of birth in the underground raw kind of culture. But people are still skating ramps. Yeah, they're, they're emulating what they find in skate parks. They're, they're building half pipes. It's the first time we've seen half pipes, really. Um, then we get Thrasher magazine. We're still around today. Thrasher magazine really embodied the, as Ian told us on the show, that like they wouldn't feature someone on the cover with any pads or helmets. Right, so they wanted like, to have that raw, this is new... Well, and I mean, do you remember watching uh, King of the Road and stuff like that? Yeah, man. Like Thrasher yeah. is now and has always been. Yes, it's it's exclusive in the way that it's uh, it's oh, like gnarly only, but it's also very inclusive because they're not going to give anyone shit about race or gender or anything like that. It's just like, do you fucking skate? Are you a hardcore skater? That's all that matters. Yeah, well, that's what the culture, you know, it, it's, it is inclusive. It lets anyone get in on it, no matter what walk of life you're from. Um, but you have to be committed to the cause, and that can lead it to be a bit exclu- exclusive. There was no space for casual skaters at the time. Mm-hmm. It yep. was quite clicky. Yeah, and it still is to an extent, but I think there's a lot. it's a lot better these days. Um, but, you know, I think that, like, the changing scenes that, you, I mean, you talked about in the episode uh, from what skateboarding was and how it evolved, it's such an interesting story. Um but like yeah, Thrasher- that's why we're not covering the history of this so much now because that episode we've done a full hour and twenty minutes. Yeah, so go and check that out. Culture. But what what is important is the conversion to street skating in the nineties, and prior to that, the popularization of skateboard videos. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. So let's just before we get to the nineties, let's talk about Stacy Peralta of George Powell and Stacy Peralta have a company, Powell Peralta, mm-hmm. and uh, they have a team called the Bones Brigade, which is Tony Hawk, Rodney Mullen, uh, Steve Caballero, uh, Lance Mountain, all different kind of people like that, like the, the most famous skate team. And what they decided to start doing, Peralta has a, a history in film production and, and being a cameraman. So he decides he's going to write and direct a s- skate movies. And they have the Bones Brigade video show. And yeah. then they go on to things like um, uh, the search for Animal Chin and weird stuff like that. This gave birth to video edits and parts being like actually way skaters make money and a really, really important part of skateboarding is still is today, especially with Instagram culture and social media. Having the part is like the thing. And you go out over several months and film like the absolute best shit you can do. Find these street spots. And this was, you know, the popularization of street skating in the 90s now. The part on street videos became so important. And as Ian pointed out on our show, these parts were normally two or three minutes long. And what else is two or three minutes long? A song. Music. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Why it's kind of so entwined. And what it did is it gave the skaters, they skate, which is a creative and expressive sport. Yeah. They find the skate spots. So it's in their city or the places that they know that other people don't know. So it brings something personal about themselves. They also choose the music they want. They dress in the way they want. And then... Normally, these companies, World Industries, Toy Machine people, they were sending skaters out. They would send a group of skaters out with a camera. I'll film your own part. 
So it's filmed by the other skaters yeah. in real time as it's happening. Unpolished, you get all the slams. Remember crash part sections in skate videos? Yeah, and yeah. As we talked about, this then, then did lead into CKY and the culture of bringing music videos and just pranks the behavior and just anti-societal shit into videos. So that's really like where, where Street was born. I think one of the skaters in this video, Rodney Mullen, who used to do freestyle, then freestyle, which is just spinning around and twatting around on a board on flatland. Yeah. That kind of died. Vert skating took over. When vert skating died, the likes of Mullen had a resurgence because they were able to basically take their flatland tricks and make them moving and over obstacles and perform them in the street. Yeah. And the very fact you were doing it in the street was anti-social in itself Mm -hmm. because you weren't supposed to do it. Yeah, and that was so important to us as well when we went skating. Was finding oh, yeah. that spot to ride, and that's the thing is like it was never, it never ever became, and it still hasn't become uh, an acceptable way for people to to you know enjoy their free time. It's like still like all oh, these damn skaters, you know, uh, they're menace and all this sort of stuff. Like all we wanted to do was just pull off some cool tricks across, you know. And that's that's the most important thing is nailing the trick, nail the fucking trick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There was never a, a vibe of I want to cause as much trouble as possible. I just want to do a cool trick in a cool location. Like, um, but yeah. So that transition from vert to street is is really interesting. Like, and that the whole cultural shift that it all brought in with the skating videos and the, as you say, with CKY and that sort of stuff coming in where they really merged that dick and about with making cool skate videos and adding that great music over the top. And what it really formed is that (coughs) skating was all about friends. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And it didn't matter outside of your group of friends. It didn't matter what the outside world thought of you. Mm -hmm. You didn't have to be popular by anyone else's eyes. You just had to get on and have fun with each other. Yep. Yeah. And that embodies, you know, what, what we experienced when we started skating and found all this this music and this this culture. Yeah, so it doesn't quite embody the thrasher, hardcore, core skater group mentality of it's about the skating only, yeah. but it, it's, a, it's a bigger picture than that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a different type of skate culture. Now, Hawk comes along, and again, I don't want to retread too much ground here. Very most famous vert skater of all time. Yep, like absolutely. most famous skateboarder of all time now, and largely thanks to the games. Come the nineties, his income's just fucking dropped off because people don't associate him with street. Yep. Even though he's a damn good skater, he just wasn't the street skater. He wasn't your Jamie Thomas or or people like that. And he didn't have that punk rock attitude. He was quite a clean cut, all American, goofy kid. Um, but the X Games comes along, and they manufacture skateboarding as their own sport, and a lot of skaters don't like it because. They're like, no, we, we've taken over skateboard and we have street skating. That's our thing. But your likes of Tony Hawk and Bob Burnquist excel in the X Games because it's a controlled environment. It's a return to vert skating. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so Hawk's suddenly famous and successful again. <laughs> and he's a bit of a gamer and stuff like that. So that you know, kind of helps. He gets approached by a PC developer who wants to make a skating game. And they ask him to go and pitch a game to the publishers once he had worked with them to make it. And uh, they all shut the idea down. They're like, no, fuck this. We're not doing it. And the project falls through. But now Hawk's game is floating around game companies. Hawk's name is floating around game companies. And he's also got video games in his mind. He gets a call from Nintendo, but then rejected the game because he just wants to create something that's fun to play because he's a skateboarder. It should be about fun. I don't want something that's as hard to do as actual skateboarding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then Activision latched onto the idea of making a skating game. They employ Neversoft, who built a demo. Um, and then they looked at who can we attach to the game based on the fact that sports game have a name attached to them. Uh, and the quote was just, looking at magazines, it seemed like Tony Hawk was the guy. <laughs> well, they were right. They were right to pick Tony Hawk because like, you know, he probably was, even then, the biggest name that people would have associated with with skateboarding as a, as a sport or whatever you want to call it, as an extreme sport. Um, so yeah, they were absolutely right to, to latch onto him. Sorry, um, I spoke a lot then about the history of skate. I, I'll hand over to you for the development and history stuff for the game. No, that, that's cool, man. It's because <laughs> like... we, did, we didn't talk in our episode of Ian Borden about the game really at all. Okay, well, I mean, so Activision, as you say, signed Tony Hawk over uh, onto the uh, the project to make uh, a skateboarding game. Um, By the way, do you want an interesting thing? I'm thinking of. Go on. I'm actually thinking of getting the uh, tattoo of the NeverSoft logo. Oh, it's such a cool logo. The eyeball with the uh, like the arrow through it yeah it's fucking great as uh, just as a throwback to these games 
Well, I've wanted a game. I wanted a gaming tattoo for a long time, and this logo, like, it meant so much to me in the day mm. back in the day. Well, it's so iconic as well. Like, people don't know what it is. Uh, so yeah, man, fucking do it. That's awesome. That'd be so good. Um, so. Mitch Lasky, Senior Vice President of Activision, stated in an interview with GameSpot that the character was meant to reflect Tony's signature style, an intense mix of acrobatics and hardcore technical skating. And that's so, just bollocks. That doesn't mean anything, does it? It's just, you know, tech, I don't know. It's, it's, you know, management speak effectively. It doesn't mean anything at all. So um, Neversoft as a studio, we'll talk about it another time. But, um, you know, their first game was... Uh, Skeleton Warriors. I never played that, Tom. Have you played it? No, I've I've not played that at all. I've never even actually heard of it. <laughs> no. So the, you know, the, I don't think they were that big at this time. Um, they had a another title called Apocalypse, um, a third person shooter game, uh, which they'd done for Activision, um, and they. They they just weren't that prominent a studio as far as like their history goes. Um, so basically, what they well, wanted this to... was that this was their big explosion, wasn't it? Activision handed them this game and said, "Aim this at a young audience." Young, yes, without definition. So exactly, yeah. So uh, you know, make it make it fun, basically. Um, so what they did was during lunch breaks, the, the team at Neversoft would go to like bowling alleys to play uh, Sega's Top Skater, um, and use this as well as watching things like the X Games as an influence on how the game was actually going to be designed. Um, so the levels ended up being uh, ended up being wholly original to the game rather than being based on, you know, real world locations as they came to pass in, in some of the later Tony Hawk's games. So they really thought about what they wanted to bring in. So that, that mix of vert skating, that mix of street skating and, and making it fun. Um, and that's what they prioritized over, over realism um, in the design of this. Um, that comes across massively as well. Like you go and play Tony Hawk, you're not looking at a realistic skating game. You're looking at uh, an absolute arcade fest. It's you know it's pure fun to play and completely unrealistic, but it's it's absolutely skateboard. Tony Hawk's is the embodiment of how you remember skating to be amongst your mates. It's not mm-hmm. how you actually rode a skateboard. Exactly. Um, so they used a modified version of the engine that they used for that first-person shooter apocalypse. Um, and the original alpha test featured Bruce Willis as a character, which is taken from apocalypse. I think he actually had a gun on his back as well. Like he was the original <laughs> skater. That's so weird. Uh, so is it this point that they brought Tony Hawk on board as a consultant to gain his input into the game? Um, and obviously due to his popularity as a skateboarder, his, that was vital. Um, and I don't think... Without that input, you know, this game would have gone anywhere near in the direction it, it went. Well, Hawk went above and beyond what he had to do. And so, and not, not just Hawk, but so did Neversoft, because Neversoft could have just slapped his face on it and been done with it. Exactly. But they actually motion captured all the tricks done by him. He handpicked the roster of skaters. He curated the soundtrack. He, you know, helped um, with the design of the levels and suggestion of the locales. Because remember the game, it, it has skate parks, but mm-hmm. it has schools and city streets and all these kind of places that, like, you know, were more important to skating than just these skate parks. But do you and think- actually, when, when the second one was around, I do remember that the skate park levels, you would win medals. Yeah, yeah. But then the, the street levels, you would have challenges to do. Exactly. Yeah. And do you think, Tom, without Hawk's input, like if you think about the levels in Tony Hawk, um, they're so well designed for the uh, the runs that you do. You would do as a skateboarder, so you put these runs together, connect a grind into a you know a flip onto a table. You'd you'd manual over that and flip out of it. It's like without Hawk's input, would would Neversoft really have got the feel of how that should be? Absolutely not, because he was completely like the most important person on this game. Yeah, exactly. So, and what's great about it is the game was celebrated so well as an embodiment of the punk rock skate culture mm-hmm. yeah that tony hawk who is quite often criticized for being a little too wholesome for 90s skate culture actually knew what it was all about and fucking nailed it yeah exactly um so his input on the development and design of the game absolutely vital um and you know as you say they mo-capped all his moves the, the 900 features in the game which had only just been done by Tony Hawk that year. Um, so it was a, quite a late addition to it. Um, 
Now, another another cool thing is the uh, inclusion of a series of videotapes to collect throughout the level. Yeah, so the other thing I was going to say is the game's clearly inspired by the skate park part videos. That's why your runs are two minutes long. You're doing a video part. Every time you do a session on this game, mm. you're you're constructing a video part. Which is so cool in itself. And you're building up that score and trying to hit the best run you possibly can, which, which again, embodies what real-life skating was, was about, is trying to get it's that best lines, run. It's about lines, isn't it? Yeah. And combinations and lines. and Exactly. And hitting that perfect run and, and making it as neat and clean as you possibly can. Um, and bringing that into a, a game and not only making it you know rewarding to play, but also making it fun to play and not a chore is an absolute design masterclass because um, they could have got this so wrong, but they, they really nailed it. Um, so yeah, they're collecting those tapes. Um, basically they, yeah, it's, it's the same way as you collect stars in, in super Mario 64. Um, so you'd obviously go around, you find the secret tape, you complete a series of objectives, and then you get to actually watch a skate video of that particular skater at the end, uh, in the sort of extras uh, thing and on the menu. Videos, man, I watched the intro to Tony Hawk's 2 hundreds of times. Yeah, man. It's it At the time, we couldn't access stuff like that, Tom. It wasn't, you know, the internet wasn't... Well, you could go and buy the skate videos from Manscaping in Shrewsbury for 30 quid. But yeah, but who had the money to do that at 14, you Exactly, know? we didn't, did we? Like, we, we'd share things, and then Polly got a CD writer, and we would, like, copy <laughs> music and... and exactly. Like, but none of us had a fucking DVD player till you got a PlayStation 2. Yeah, exactly, man. So we'd like these little videos that you get through the game were like gold dust. It was like, fuck, we can actually watch some cool skating as part of this game. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, Tom, round us off. Anything else you want to say about the development on, on Tony Hawk? No, I just think it's just impossible to overstate the, the influence that Hawk had on this and the way that he was undersold within the skate community at the time as someone who really got the 90s skate attitude because mm. he was a bit quiet a bit of a quiet dude and not like too larry compared to some of the others you got like your mike Vallelis, who's like <laughs> beats the shit out of people in the street and do you remember like... that video of him on i think it's on cky where he just goes fucking ape shit on a group of random yeah, some guys so it's, it's got like that's the thing it says like i think cky3 again and it's like Oh, Mike Vallely versus so and so, and it's like they called him a skater fag. That's it. Yeah, like, yeah. He rips his shirt off and just decks four of them. <laughs> it's and like, mental. And like, literally, just decks four of them. Yeah, like, yeah. Tony, Tony Hawk would never do that. He's no, he's well, he's, of course he couldn't but do he's that. Like, he's, he's a gangly streak of piss, isn't he? He's all like limbs. <laughs> we'll pass that on to Tony. Uh, but he is, though, isn't he? He's all like, he looks like one of them, um, you know, the dudes at like the car washes. <laughs> Pass the savings, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, as you say, Tony Hawk in this game, absolutely vital to the development. Um, let, let's talk about then the characters, the setting, the music that they did incorporate into this game to to make it what it is. Tom, tell us a little bit about that. Well, you got your... So it, if you look at this, the skaters, Tony Hawk, obviously, Bob Burnquist, obviously, big X Games favorites. Kareem Campbell, black skater in the game, mm-hmm. like a hugely important. And to listen to, um, I listened to other gaming podcasts recently, and there's a there's a guy, uh, Blessing Junior, who yeah. Yeah. he's a black dude, and he's like, when I played, this was so important to me because I had a black guy I could play as in the game. I like games didn't fucking do this. Yeah, yeah, representation, you know, and like decent representation. Absolutely. Kareem's a great fucking skater. Great street But skater. not like just some like, yeah, some bullshit fucking like... The, yeah, it was just good for the time. Rune Glyphberg, Bucky Lasek, Chad Musker, like a bunch of dudes. Andrew Reynolds, Jeff Riley, and uh, Alyssa Steamer, so a girl. Yep. Um, yep. And what was great is that this brought these names into people's living rooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was as big for them as it you know, as it was for, for Tony Hawk in a way that they would not have got the exposure that they got had it not been for Tony Hawk pro skater. Um, we, we talked about the levels as well, Ad. like, yeah, you've got your, your skate park levels and Burnside and places like that. But then so some of these are so cool. Warehouse, school, mall, downtown. Yep. Man, downhill jam. The streets of San Francisco. Like they're found spaces. These aren't curated spaces to skate in. Yeah. And, what it also told me is that there's a spot on every street corner. 
Exactly, yeah. It's it's finding. And when when I, when I go out and find a spot, it's like, oh, this curb's slightly higher than the other one. I wonder if I can drop that <laughs> one. But it it's that it does drive a sense of creativeness and a sense of finding your way and your place to skate. Yeah, exactly. And you can pretty much find uh, a style in any of the levels that suits you. Um, so if you want to hit those, you know, those amazing grinds and and flip tricks in the ski uh, in a street skating style you can do that but there's also enough ramps if you want to do the vert you can find and hone your own style as, as you want it in every level in the game pretty much um so that and they're all really different as well so you, interestingly like that they introduced into this some like like downhill levels which yeah so that comes off the back of top skater mm, okay which was skating downhill runs um and they start what they started doing when they developed it is each level would be like a downhill run, but then when you got to the bottom of the level, there'd be like a few ramps, and that was just to use up the rest of your time. Yeah. And every time they played where they didn't have the time limits on, they found that people would just get down the hill, then they'd spend half an hour in the bottom section. Right. And that's when they twigged that idea and went, "Hey, we don't need the fucking bit at the start. It's all about repeat rhythm and flow and." creating your own lines across these parks yeah, yeah. and the, the, the way the cities are designed they're like skate parks like there's plenty of stuff to link up like you said the the one wall is the perfect distance to the next rail to land to revert to manual to go up a ramp now obviously no reverts and manuals in tony york's one but over the first four games yeah yeah which were which were really the core of the pro skater series mm-hmm. absolutely yeah yeah so in terms of you know level design they 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 absolutely nailed it from the outset and again i can't stress enough like how important tony hawk is in in implementing that um and making sure that it was true to the to, to what skating should be like um so in terms of again we talked about the importance of music uh in the whole culture of skateboarding so as you talked on before um you touched on before it was it was a little bit more of a punky soundtrack to tony hawk's pro skater um so you had things like the Dead Kennedy. Yeah, Dead yeah so this, this introduced me to Dead Kennedys. Yeah, really, um, really good punk band. This this had Police Truck, but I think Holiday in Cambodia is one of my favorite songs of all time. Yeah, nice, nice. One of the most interesting tracks on this is Primus. Jerry was a race car driver. That's actually just not a really very great song, is it? No, it's really weird inclusion. I was like, well, someone uh, at work who is a big fan of the, the series said it's their favorite track on it. I've never heard anyone say that. No, I think the popular one here is Goldfinger Superman. Yeah, man. Um, and that's that is... the one that actually Goldfinger was saying in an interview recently that like they were opening for different punk bands and and no one knew them, no one cared about their music until they played that track after the release of the game and then everyone was going wild. Oh, holy shit, those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously then you had the documentary called Pretending I'm a Superman about Tony Hawk, which came out recently. Um, and the, the other thing that was really interesting to this note as well is they were contacting bands and saying, can we put your song in a video game? Mm-hmm. And people were a bit like, well, what do you mean? Because video games before this point, they didn't have a soundtrack. Really. Yeah, there was, there was. what would you do with a soundtrack in video games at that point? Well, so you, you had obviously games with music like Mario, like Sonic, blah, blah, that, blah. Yeah, yeah, of course. Then, yeah. then you had games like Gran Turismo 2 came out that year. That definitely had a soundtrack, but it was some generic electro beat mm-hmm. stuff. This game, you could put in a CD player, I believe. Was it this one? There was one of the games you could put in a CD player and skip track one, you get a soundtrack. I think that was Grand Theft Auto, the PC version, maybe. Yeah, maybe. So GTA had a soundtrack in 93. Yeah, it did. That had a definite soundtrack. Yeah, it did, yeah. But after that, this is probably the game that... I know there's quite a big gap, 93 to 96. But this is the game that I really remember having a soundtrack to. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there aren't many other titles that would have in, encompassed a soundtrack. It's not It's not like there was a mass of games which would have had a need for 10 great It tunes. was definitely GTA. I think if you put the GTA disc in a CD player, track one is like the game. Okay. And then if you, if you skip track one, you get you can just play the soundtrack. Nice. Because I definitely used to do that on my CD-ROM. Hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's certainly... Uh, Tony Hawk's really... Tony Hawk's Pro Skater really... Uh, made it clear that music had a, you know, songs and, you know, individual songs had a place in gaming. It, it made it clear that music had songs. Music, music and songs, I was trying to say, like individual songs. <laughs> it made it clear that music had songs. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a fucking soundbite 
on the end of series show, isn't it? Oh, fuck off. <laughs> so what I was trying to say was like, you know, individual songs and picking those out for a, for a gaming soundtrack. It wasn't a thing that was done. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater really did uh, sort of bring that to the forefront. Um, so in terms of like uh, the gameplay in this, there's a lot of different stuff. And let's talk about the multiplayer, actually. Because, um, man, I spent hours and hours on multiplayer on this, um, playing things like, you know, uh, Trick Attack Horse. Horse is fucking amazing. Horse is the best multiplayer mode in like, one of the greatest games of all time. So basically, you create a word. You have a maximum amount of letters. That I can't remember how many they are, but I know you could write herpy derpy, and you could write. <laughs> you could also write come cunt yeah. Nice. Which as a fourteen-year-old was amazing. <laughs> Two popular go-to's. Yeah, and you would like one player would start, and you'd be on a certain point in a level, and it'd be up to you to to skate a line and get the highest score you could. If you bailed, the next person got to skate the line. And then once someone landed it and got the highest score, you had to beat that score. Or yeah, you got a letter. The loser got a letter, and it was the first one to get the letters, whatever it was, horse, herpy-derpy. Yeah. Lost. It was this kind of really cool asynchronous multiplayer where you were against each other, but you weren't directly like playing against each other. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I Kind don't... of just like skating. Well, I don't know why they've... Yeah, so Tony Hawk's... Uh remake that they've they've recently brought out i don't know why they've not made this an online mode because the online yeah, mode is shit yeah apparently it's coming apparently there's big improvements coming in new skate parks and ace okay okay so let's talk about then tom uh tony hawk's uh pro skater reception so how well was it received by critics when it came out back in 99 really fucking well i think one of the things before it came out which was interesting there was a demo disc mm released that summer okay that had big games like final fantasy and silent hill on it and then this new ip this new unknown entity which was a uh, tony hawks pro skater and the funny thing was is the buzz started generating around that demo because the demo was a two-minute session of the warehouse level which oh, ultimately yeah. if you if you've if you've played that you've played the whole game like everything was in there mm-hmm and people were saying, like, I've, I've played this demo hundreds and hundreds of times. Yeah, I think I was fucking one of them, actually, thinking back. Yeah. Yes. And uh, and that was where people people were, like, addicted to the game before it came out. And you were then basically buying. It was like shareware. In a way, yeah, it was. Because, because you got the full experience, but only one level of it. And then you were buying the seven extra levels or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. Um, and the, the additional skaters. I think there was, like, two skaters you could choose from and... You couldn't up your stats or anything like that. But so it was known it was going to be a hit, but it wasn't known it was going to be a hit early in development. It was known right that summer where Hawk landed the 900, where <laughs> where all of that started coming together for this like perfect storm of a release. Yeah. And I think the demo did like huge, huge wonders for them. Well, I getting think... that word of mouth buzz. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If they hadn't maybe given people a taster of what the game was going to be, it may very well not have sold as well in the immediate, you know, release. For sure. Um, but it did get a 92 on Metacritic. Man, um, that's good. IGN gave it a 9.1. Shit, man. Yeah, it said it had a genius control combo system and design. Is there any simpler um, control system in a in a, an extreme sports game than Tony Hawk's? It's a perfect control system. Like, there's no doubt about that. Uh, for what it's trying to do, it's not realistic. It's not clever. It's whatever. Um, they also gave the that was the N sixty four version. They gave the PlayStation version a nine point four out of ten. Shit, man, that is high praise. So isn't simply it? amazing in terms of animations, physics, and size of levels. That was all from IGN. So it couldn't have done much better. Yeah, quite, quite. Basically, I'd say one thing that I would pick as a if I was going to pick any hole in the game, it would be <laughs> the, <laughs> the. I said hole. <laughs> <laughs> if I was if I was going to pick holes in it, uh, the only thing I would really say is the uh, upgrading of stats on your skaters. Um, I personally didn't see a need to have that in the game. Like, I get that if you're creating your own skater and you want him to upgrade and be better at stuff, but having him perfect on every single stat kind of just for me, I was like, well, yeah, because different skaters definitely had different styles. Like Jamie Thomas had really good manual and lip balance and rail balance. Exactly. Uh, not manual, sorry, in this game. That was the second one. I, do, I can't even remember he's in this game. I think he was just in the second one, maybe. I can't remember uh, either. Let but... me check. Let me check. 
No, he was in this one. Um, the second one, yeah, there was no Mullen in this game. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they did lose a little bit of their, like, if you were into skating, you knew if I'm skating a certain, like, and you would play for the game with every skater as well. Exactly. That was the thing. Yeah. So, like, I, I personally would have preferred not to be able, I mean, you, you don't have to upgrade the stats, of course, but then it's there, you're going to do it. Um, so that's the only thing I would say is probably an unnecessary addition, but it's a very, very small thing to pick, uh, you know, pick at. So, yeah. And and not just in terms of, so you talk about reception from a video game point of view. Reception from the public, this birthed a generation of skateboarders. Yeah, fucking right it did. Absolutely, including us. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think I was, I was teetering on the fringes. Matt Saxon used to ride around on his... Holy shit. Santa Cruz deck. The Santa Cruz deck. I have this incredible memory for shit like this. Yeah, you do. Um, You're pulling these names out of there. I'm like, fucking hell. I've heard of that guy for 20 years. He used to have a Santa Cruz deck, I remember, which I thought was like some kind of god board because I I couldn't afford anything (laughs) like that. I I had some with like some generic graffiti dude on the back. I had one with like a a Hannibal Lecter type character on it. It was just really generic and shit. I, I upgraded to one with like a fish skeleton. I remember that board. Yeah. Mm. I wish I had that shit. Yeah, same. But yeah, like he kind of got me. There was him who got me into that, and then Powie who got me into Daniel Mountain Biking with his <laughs> ATX1. <laughs> Fucking Powie. Oh, man. With his giant ATX1, Daniel Mountain Bike. He had an ATX1? Yeah. Oh, that was like. No, no, the... I, think he had an, I think he had an ATX2. Even so, like. Those 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 bikes back in the day were like unattainable for us. So yeah, with like, like the che- cherry red Rockshox boxes uh, on them. Man, unbelievable! I, I, I tried to buy an ATX one a few years ago. Are they still around? Like, no, they're not making them. No, but like, can you still find them? Like, are people selling them? That's yeah, they're, they're quite expensive now. Fuck, I bet but they there are. was a, there was a period of time where they were they were starting to become collectible, and they were going for about five hundred quid. Okay. And okay. I was very close to just snaffling one. That's not too bad, 500. Shit, man. Should have done it. But, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, we digress. So, Tony Hawk, very well received and rightly so. One of the best games of all time, without a shadow of a doubt, and an absolute game changer in extreme sports games. Brought it to the forefront for a lot of people. And I will forever be grateful that they've made a remaster which is absolutely amazing oh isn't it banger yeah 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 it's it's so good it what they've done is that they've 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 not departed too much from what the originals were they've allowed you to have that extra uh in uh, repertoire in terms of the manuals and the reverts and all that sort of stuff which came in the later games well, but that's fine for me and you can turn it off if you want but um the essential crux of the games is, is still there and it's it's absolutely perfectly done so uh yeah, Tony Hawk man, what a what a game. Uh what a fucking series of games that stayed good for for a good few years as well. Like some of the later entries were were also absolutely banging. So yeah man, amazing to revisit it and an absolute banger to look at for that 8-bit shit show. So Tom, thank you very much for joining me this week. Thank and, you. I uh, didn't make any jokes about Mario having come up his ass this week either. No, I don't. <laughs> You have now. I think it was Nintendo anyway, not Mario, but you know. Just whatever. Nintendo, the, the, the big N. The being. Right, guys, we will catch you again for another episode of that 8-Bit Shit Show. See you later. Au revoir.